Hi, I'm Sanera Madani, and I'm a mom of two, a daughter of an immigrant and an unlikely entrepreneur who went from scaling an idea to a billion dollar business. Yes, a billion dollar business. Along the way, I learned that less than 2% of female founders ever hit 1 million in revenue. And I became obsessed on a mission to change that. I believe that there is so much gatekeeping in business knowledge and that we as female entrepreneurs should be learning from other female founders and leaders who have broken the statistics. Since I never went to CEO school, I've had to learn it all the hard way, but you shouldn't have to because we believe that you deserve to have it all. And honestly, nothing bad happens when women make more money. Grab a seat because class is officially in session. Welcome to CEO School. Hey everyone, it's Sanira here. CEO School is officially part of the HubSpot Podcasting Network. We're now part of a family of shows designed to help professionals listen, learn, and grow by providing access to the world's leading B2B podcasts like the Gold Digger Podcast hosted by Jenna Kutcher. The Gold Digger Podcast helps you discover your dream career with productivity tips, social strategies, business hacks, inspirational stories, and so much more. I recently enjoyed listening to Jenna share 12 personal boundaries she set up for herself and that you can also borrow to protect your own peace, whatever that looks like to you. Listen to the Gold Digger Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to CEO School, the podcast. I'm your host, Sanira Madani, and today I have a dear friend returning to the show today, Stephanie Carton. Stephanie is, we've, her and I have been friends for, I would say, about four years now, and you, you've heard her on the show before early when we first launched CEO School. She's been part of just my sistership in entrepreneurship. And Stephanie is co-founder of Entreprenista, which is one of the largest podcasts um, in women's entrepreneurship. She is this also the co-founder of Socialfly, which is a marketing and social media agency that's based out of New York. She also is an angel investor and helps put together investment syndicates through Pearl Influential Capital. And then lastly, she is co-founding a company called Market, which we're going to hear the update on today. And she just finished raising a seed round and is gearing up for her Series A. So when I tell you that she is a multi-passionate entrepreneur, she is literally a multi-passionate entrepreneur, and she's done just the most incredible things over her last decade of entrepreneurship. But her greatest title is Mother to Molly. And I'm sure she's going to tell you that. So I cannot wait to have Stephanie on the show here today. You've heard her before, but today we're going to get the update. Welcome back, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. You're listing all these things. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I do all of these things? I'm excited to- You do. <laughs> you do all of these things. So I'd love for you to kind of start us off with your background and your journey and kind of carry us through the last like decade of entrepreneurship and how it all began. Yes. Well, it's so great to meet and see everyone today. I'm looking forward to connecting with each of you. So after this, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn or uh, Instagram. Feel free to send me a direct message. I'll follow you back. There is nothing I love more than connecting with other women and connecting with other founders, as Tanira just said. So again, I'm Stephanie, co-founder of a few different businesses. My entrepreneurial journey started as a child. Um, I'm sure many of you can say this, but I still remember what it felt like to become the top seller selling Girl Scout cookies when I was a brownie um, at only, I think, six or seven years old. And I think that really got me started down my 
entrepreneurial path. From there, I went on to, you know, finding all the latest things that were trending from Beanie Babies to friendship bracelets. I set up a Beanie Baby resale business out of my house in seventh grade, and I would put up signs in our supermarket. Do you remember those signs where you could like rip off a phone number? Yes. These parents would call me and, I, you know, here's this 12 year old, you know, seventh grader answering the phone. And these moms are coming over and writing me a check for $35 for a retired Beanie Baby. So I quickly, like, I always saw the things that were trending. And even as a child was like figuring out how to make a business from it. So I think it's just like in my, in my DNA. And really, I just love helping people. Like I've always, you know, found problems and then found a way to solve them and make a business from it and everything that I've done. And the reason why the businesses that I've started and the things that I've been involved in with have been successful is because I genuinely care. I've mm -hmm. never just started something because I'm like, oh, I want to make money doing this. It's been because there's a need and because I care and I want to help. So I will share the quick, I'll try to do the quick story of how. No, take your time. We've, we've got, well, do the do the medium version, not the one minute version. Yeah, the medium version because it's so good. I'm obsessed with your story. Okay, so I will take you back now to when uh, Courtney, uh, Courtney and I, my business partner, her name is Courtney Spritzer. We started our first business called Social Fly, which is a social media marketing and influencer agency uh, that Courtney and I started over ten years ago. Now, back in 2011, we started taking on clients on the side of our full time jobs. So. We were both working nights and weekends on these client projects on this side for about 10 months until we said to each other, all right, this is going to be a real business. We either have to go all in and do it or not do it at all. So we finally decided to quit our corporate jobs on the same day, which was May 4th of 2012. And we never looked back and we grew and scaled our agency business really organically by- I love it. You guys have like a quit day. Y'all, They're the cutest co-founders ever. They really are. I actually spent this last weekend with Courtney. She was happened to be a speaker at Inbound where I was at. And so we had a blast. She's the best. And y'all, the two of the best together. So y'all have like an anniversary quit day, my heart right now. And that's it. We celebrate our anniversary May 4th of every year. And you'll hear some May 4th um, repeats in the story that I'm telling. We basically launch everything new on May 4th now um, for yeah. every business. Okay. <laughs> so. That's also the Star Wars day. And the only reason I know that is because I run a tech company and the entire, it's like, may the fourth be with you. Yeah. Like, and so the, it's always like a big thing in our office on the fourth. So that's why I know. Yes, no, absolutely. So May 4th, quit our jobs. And uh, we, you know, never looked back. We grew and scaled our agency business organically. So we never raised any capital for social fly. Back then, Courtney and I had no idea what raising capital was. It was not in our wheelhouse. We were not in the world of raising capital. It was, we start a service-based business. We have a couple of clients that pays for, you know, us, for us to be able to live. And that those first few weeks in business, we got a couple of interns. We joined a networking group, started signing new clients, and we just started to grow and scale that business organically. We really didn't know anything when we first started that business, aside from we knew, you know, social media and social media is very different now from what it was when we first started Social Fly. But we just started, you know, creating these social strategies that were working and our business really started to take off. Um, we were quickly on the Inc. 5000 list for fastest growing companies. We were winning all sorts of awards for our work. And what started to happen was because of the quick growth and success of our agency business, women were reaching out to us like literally every single week, wanting to go out to coffee, wanting to pick our brain and really just wanting to hear how we were able to grow and scale our agency business. And what you'll learn about myself and Courtney is we're just the type of people that like to help absolutely everyone. But 
we did start to realize if we were to physically go out to coffee with every single entrepreneur that reached out to us, we would just never have time to run our core business. And at the time, it was just Social Fly. Now, as Sanira shared, we have a few different businesses. Um, but we just started thinking, you know, how can we help as many women as possible, but do it at scale? That's always our thing. Like, how do we make the most impact and help the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time to be able to to make this scale? So that was our aha moment. Like, oh, why don't we start a podcast? We can share all of these stories at scale. That way, when someone reaches out and says, I want to start a tech company, we can say, oh, go listen to the episode with Sanira. She can share how she built in and scaled her company. So we launched our podcast called Entreprenista in November of 2018. And it really just took off from that first episode. And then from there, all of 2019, Entreprenista really was just our podcast, creating this great content, creating, you know, organically, you know, our social media was growing on Entreprenista, our email list. Um, but that's what it was. It was this side, you know, content project because Courtney and I just wanted to share this really great content and give back and help women. Then the pandemic happened in 2020 and we all know what happened, of course. And we were getting so much outreach from, you know, entrepreneurs who are following us on Instagram and our listeners saying things like, and type in the chat, if you can relate to this, you know, women were sharing, I lost my job during the pandemic and I want to start a business. Can you help us? Or I need help pivoting my business. Can you help us? And Courtney and I were like, we need to help everyone, but the only way to do that would be if one of us really focuses on it. So when Samira shared, you know, we're doing all these different things, something that Courtney and I have really learned to do is divide and conquer. So Courtney focuses on running our agency business, Social Fly. So I am actually not involved at all in the day-to-day -day of our agency business at all anymore. Courtney runs that business and I run everything with Entreprenista. So we spun off Entreprenista as a completely separate business. Um, so we are now a full media company, podcast network, and membership community dedicated to helping women founders launch, grow, and scale their business. So Sunira, I'll take a pause there before I share about Pearl and Market to, to see if you want to jump in with anything before I keep talking. No, I love it. And it's literally, I feel like, um, you know, you're one of those people um, that I feel like has like a really similar why as I do, a very similar path as I do. I was working in a very different industry in finance and payments. And I had this tech company. I saw success in it and scaling. And then it was the same exact thing. I mean, my medium, medium was Instagram at the time. And when the pandemic happened, it was like the exact same intersection where I just felt like there was such this need of bringing this message out to be broader. And I didn't have the podcast earlier. I actually launched a podcast during the pandemic is how it started. And then this last, I would say two years is when the, the membership and the community aspect of CEO school itself evolved and it's continuing to evolve. And so I feel like there's, there's such similar paths and the next path that you're about to share. I feel like I was the opposite on there. I was like part of this next thing that you were going to share. Cause I was like, how can I've had a lot of success in raising capital and scaling my business. And I felt like that's such a boys club in this world. There is such a need for, you know, not a need. There's, there's a, I mean, it's, 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 it's a necessity to have parity at this. And there's, we're not even close to parity. Less than less than 3% of venture capital goes to women. I'm a living, breathing example of one of that statistic. And I didn't be, want, want to be a statistic. I wanted to really share what I've learned and to really make an impact here. And so I've always dabbled in venture investment and angel investment. And I've got just a great network that I've just built over the years. And so whenever I find a really great company that I'm passionate about. I tell my friends about it and I'm like, let's go raise as much capital as we can because I care a lot. And so I feel like you're the same person on the other side. So tell everybody what you've been working on 
after on like well not nothing's after because this is actually real life all of it every day all, so. it's all happening at the same yes. time okay so yes. I will I'll share the market story first and okay. then I'll go into Pearl because it's it's all connected perfect so going back to January of 2020 um I had a Molly was held at the time she was seven months at the time my daughter and my husband and I were out to eat on the Upper East Side in New York City we were living in Manhattan now we have since done a pandemic and moved down to Florida like so many but we were on the Upper East Side in New York City and we're sitting there at breakfast talking about all of these items that we had for Molly in our apartment that we just didn't need anymore that she had outgrown her bassinet her mamaru they're in perfectly like beautiful condition barely used and we had all these new items we needed to buy for her in her next phase but we didn't know what to do with these items. My husband's like, we have to get this stuff out of the apartment. The walls were closing in before we bring anything else in. So we're sitting at breakfast. I'm going on Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist. And I'm like, how is there not a platform that's specifically for parents to be able to buy and sell gently used items? So I text Courtney, my business partner. And I'm like, I have the best business idea because I'm sure many of you can relate as an entrepreneurista. We all have ideas all the time, but you can't always execute all of them, but you can have a lot of great ideas and then, you know, pick the ones to, to go forward with. But I, you know, I'm seeing this and I'm like, this can't just be me. I'm looking now in these Facebook groups and seeing like people posting and sharing things, but just a terrible experience to be able to buy and sell that way as a parent. So I tell Courtney this idea and she says, oh my gosh, it's so funny you say that. My former boss from American Express, the boss that she quit working for to launch Social Fly with me, he just reached out to me because he's building this exact platform right now. It's called Market. And he reached out to me because he's looking for help with marketing. So long story short, this is how I'm saying everything is connected and all worlds collide. Anker comes in and meets with myself and Courtney um, back at the beginning of 2020. And after spending a lot of time together, we just realized it would make more sense to partner together versus just hire our agency to put together a marketing strategy. I was so passionate about solving this, solving this problem for parents and what it's evolved into now. It's not just solving the problem for parents, but for brands too, who have all this excess inventory and returned items and giving them the opportunity to sell through our platform as well. But you know, it's again, like I am able to focus in that business on what I'm really great at, which is building community and marketing and sharing my story to help drive traction for that business. And Anker, my business partner, has completely opposite skill sets than I do. The same as my relationship with Courtney, where I can just focus on the things that I'm really great at and drive that forward. And I partner with other amazing entrepreneurs who, you know, bring other skills to the table. And that's really how I've been able to be involved in different businesses by being able to focus on what I'm really great at. And so you launched a marketplace for, for children, for, 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 it's almost like, and tell me if this is like the worst analogy, but it's like high end offer up for baby goods and children's items. Yes. Which is genius because I swear to God, we've all gone through this exact journey any parents in the room where items are always changing, they're so expensive, and then you also like barely use certain things, you're ready for this next phase in your kid's life, you've got to get rid of, you You need space. I mean, literally children will come into your lives and then occupy your entire living. Like you can tell who has kids and who does not have kids based on what their living room looks like, right? And so they literally come and they occupy your little hearts and your, your, your houses, and then you're trying to get rid of stuff. And you want to either even pass it on to somebody who's going to use it or that needs it, but there's not even a place to give it away, let alone sell it and go buy the next things that you need. And so, and I love the name Mar Kid. I'm a huge brand snob and 
Um, I was obsessed. I remember you telling me about the idea and you were thinking about or you were raising capital. And I'm so proud that we were able to invest into the company as well. Um, how's that journey and what's taken place uh, you know, with Market since then? Yeah, it's been such an interesting journey. And as I mentioned before, and I just put the link in the chat for anyone who um, is on the Zoom right now, if you want to check it out. Um, very interesting journey, fundraising and learning the whole process of fundraising. And I like to now share and pass along all of my tips and advice just based on the learning lessons that I've had. Because I, as I mentioned, Courtney and I never raised any funding for Soul Fly. We bootstrapped that business. So we weren't in that world of raising capital. So when Anker and I set out to initially raise capital, I didn't know what I was doing when I was first starting. I can tell you what I wish we did when we first started, because in my mind, I thought, oh, I know, you know, a lot of people in my network that are VCs or in the investment world, just go to them and have conversations. Like, that's not how it works. You need to put together a plan to fundraise. So when you set out, like the first thing to do is to learn everything about the whole ecosystem and what it's like to um, raise capital and be prepared so you have everything ready to go. Because if you're in a conversation with an investor, be it an angel investor or a VC, and they ask to see your data room, like you need to have your data room ready. Yeah. So there is a whole plan and a process that goes into raising capital. The other thing that I saw just from our initial pre-seed round, so just to clarify, we raised a pre-seed round during the pandemic, mostly like friends, um, friends and angels um, of about $750,000. And we're in the middle of our seed round right now where we have a lead investor and we have about another million dollars open right now in our seed round. And then we'll close that seed round and can really get to work on all of the things that we're, we're building right now. So we started out as a peer-to-peer -peer only platform to test out the model. Then we tested out the refurbished model and proved that product market fit. And then now we've built this uh, prepared proprietary middleware technology to be able to onboard brands. So what we needed to solve for was one selection and having the best selection for all of our customers because our customers were coming, but we needed to, and parents are coming. We just need to build the best selection for them. And the problem that we saw with brands is that, you know, they're getting returned items, open box items, and they can't do anything with this. Mm. How do we build the tech to be able to easily bring that inventory over to market and then we can resell it and they can have their own um, branded space. So we've just launched that on market as well. And with Genius. this, round, we'll be scaling out brand partnerships um, with this round. So anyone who's fundraising, put together a plan, put together a process. And if you don't know how to do that on your own, there's a lot of resources for you and we've created them in the Entrepreneurial League. So we have a whole fundraising 101 event we're doing um, this week on Thursday, and we're building out a whole um, power group that is led by an experts uh fundraiser she comes from golden seed spent 10 years there helping women learn how to raise capital and she's going to be leading that within the entrepreneurs league because again all of my experiences i want to be able to bring them to this community to help everyone learn and have an, a little bit of an easier time than it was for us if we can provide all these tools and resources okay incredible and how do you do it all so like let's just pause so like for the last like 15 minutes we've been talking about this journey and I've got so many questions because these are the same things that people ask me all the time. And I feel like I'm pretty clear about how my time is divided. My full-time job still is stacks. Like that's where I spend my days. And then at my nights and weekends, I sprinkle in some CO school and that's been kind of growing, but it's almost like grown too fast out of like my own comfort that I'm like having to say no so much. And you and I are actually going to chat about how we can bring the power of entrepreneurs and CO school together in our next conversation. Um, but some, how are you doing it all? 
Like, let's talk about that. And you're, you just moved to from New York, changed the lifestyle. You have a toddler. How are you doing it all, Stephanie? Give us the secret. Um, my secret is time blocking. So every single thing that I do, like even on the weekend with my family, like everything is calendared out. So I probably similar to some of the things that you're teaching in your community, Sanira, with, you know, all of your priorities and blocking things that are, you know, important and going to move the needle. That's how I block out my day. And then bringing on team members who have opposite skill sets to myself so I can focus on my area of expertise and genius and can delegate the execution of a lot of the work to other people on our various teams. So that's really that's really my secret and just doing things that I'm really passionate about and it's fun to do. Even though I'm working, you know, a lot, like I love like you can hear, like I love it. Like this is you fun. Love it. You love it. And then, you know, another question, I have a follow-up question. So now, like, I think what's been, what's interesting to me about your journey is now you have like this third, I felt like entrepreneurista and social fly. I get it. I feel like, you know, I'm in a similar boat here. You added in an entirely new scaling company and it's not just like a small feat to take market on. I mean, this is a big industry problem. You have an incredible solution. Like I'm obsessed with it. This is going to be super successful. You guys are like already seeing success on the fundraising aspect. It's not the traditional story of like, oh, you decide to raise capital and then investors are flying off and saying, here, take my money, you know, but it's going to be successful. How does Encore feel about all of the other projects or how does the board feel? And tell me about that. Let's have some real dialogue because I feel like sometimes for investors, people always use the word like for CEOs to not be distracted. Like the word distracted gets focus comes up a lot. How are you, you know, managing? I know how it, how, how you manage it day to day, but how are you ensuring that the perception is also solved for, for this next scaling enterprise that's about to take place? It's October, and that means you're probably in the final stretch of your fiscal year. And in this macroeconomic climate, you're also probably thinking about how to best optimize budgets and scale operations in 2023. But you don't want the best probable solution to deal with whatever comes next. You want the best solution, period. Whatever stage your business is in, HubSpot CRM platform is ready to scale with you at the flip of a metaphorical switch. With totally customizable hubs, HubSpot has thousands of apps that you can easily integrate use or get rid of whenever you need them or don't. Plus, transparent costs and an intuitive interface means that there are no fancy frills for us to hide behind. That's because HubSpot isn't here to probably grow your business. It's here to help your business grow, period. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. Running a business is hard. Managing employees is hard. Getting customers through the door is even harder. But getting paid shouldn't have to be. This is where Stacks Payments is here to help. As an intuitive platform for invoicing, recurring billing, in-person, as well as online payments, Stacks is a one-stop hub to get you paid. What's even better? Stacks has one flat fee for the month instead of percentages you can't understand. Stop spending time tracking down customers or payment tools that fail on you. Set your automations up with Stacks Payments today. As CEO and founder of Stacks and CEO School, it's been my mission to support female leaders, founders, and CEOs. With Stacks, I'm able to do so by providing fast, easy, and affordable way to process payments every day for you. 
So I'm very clear when we have investor conversations, one, I'm not involved at all in the day-to-day -day of Socialfly anymore. So I have no, like, I have no involvement in that business and the, you know, working operations of Socialfly. So that's number one. With Entreprenista, the benefit with market is that I'm able to, we're able to promote everything we're doing with market through our media platform. So what I'm doing on the Entreprenista side really just helps and complements everything we're building with market you know so many members of our entrepreneurship community are moms and parents so really yeah. it's it's free advertising for yeah. um for us as a business and also as i shared like i'm very clear about what i'm great at and where i focus so with anchor and i you know we're very clear about what my roles are and responsibilities what his roles and responsibilities are and i have my list of what i need to do and what i need to accomplish and what success looks like and I get those things done and, and that that's important, whether that's done in, you know, five hours a week, 10 hours a week, 50 hours a week, like I get done what has to get done to move the needle forward. And at the end of the day, in any business, like that's what's most important. If someone can spend five hours and get everything done or spend 80 hours, yes. you care if they spend 80 hours or five hours, if the actual output got done. I love it. And I think that that is, that is a hundred percent the truth. It's really about what moves the needle. And I think as, I think something that I've learned about managing time is I think prioritization is the toughest thing at all costs. Like at the end of the day, you have to be able to say what is the most like important piece of priority, even, even as a leader, right? So even like forget having multiple businesses as a leader today, as a CEO today for, for those that have a singular set of focus, right? Making sure that your team is prioritizing what they need to get prioritized, like and removing all of the stuff that doesn't actually move the needle is what's going to move the needle for your business. And it's just focusing on the most important things and removing all other distractions. And that's a constant thing that we have to do as leaders. Our biggest job is to prioritize and reprioritize for us and for our teams. And I think that's been one of my biggest leadership lessons of where I contribute value every day as a leader is I have to be making sure that my team is rowing in the right direction. That's my biggest job. And so I, I love that. Um, so, so Stephanie, so many questions for you. Um, one of the things that I had listed today was specifically around, you know, you've grown multiple different brands, multiple different companies, but something that I'm really interested in learning about, I was actually talking to Courtney about it last week was y'all are amazing at building partnerships, like just the most amazing partnerships. What have you learned in the last decade of building companies that have all been pretty reliant on partnerships? Why is this important to, for entrepreneurs to, to learn about? What can you offer? What are some like, give us like the, the, the five minute masterclass on partnerships. I would say the what makes us successful in the partnerships that we have, especially with the B2B brands that we partner with is we're users of the tools and solutions. And it all goes back to like, we genuinely care about the things that we share and they're things that we use in our personal life or in our business life. So an example, um, we just signed a partnership with Chase Inc. So Chase Inc, we have a big partnership with, and they are going to be the sponsor of our Entrepreneurista 100 Awards that we're going to be launching this year um, and other content that we're going to be creating. And Courtney and I have used the Chase Inc card for many years now. It was one of the first uh, credit cards that we got for Socialfly because they had the cash back option and we wanted a card that we could be able to reinvest back in our business. So when we got connected with the Chase Inc team, for us, it was this natural fit because we're, we use the product. Like we can authentically speak to how this product has really helped us in our business. Like we literally just 
every month, whatever we put on that credit card, if we have $500, you know, instead of getting cash back, we just use it to pay the bill and reinvest back in our business. Um, and it's been amazing for us. So when we go to these partners, we can authentically share our story and talk about and, and talk. And that is what brand partners I see are looking for now. Yes. It's the real authentic content. That's what converts and that's what sells for brands. And then how do you like, you know, how do you actually land this? So I, I agree 100%. I think people can see right through the different styles of products that people will want to promote that actually isn't aligned to their brand. I think that's something I've been really protective of, of CO schools, not having brand partnerships because I just haven't, one, had the time to go build out, like to do it correctly for the brand partners as well. But also secondly, it has to be exactly what you said, really innate. And I had an inbound opportunity um, with HubSpot and HubSpot is a product that I've been using since day one at Stacks. It's a product that I personally use. We use it at CEO school. It is, it was just like, it is something that I use and I've already told everyone to use that that's a natural partnership for our podcast. And so I agree with that. That one came inbound for me, but how do you go seek it, right? So like, what is like the step one, two, three for entrepreneurs listening to say, how can they go seek those brand partnerships um, and actually go land those, uh, like to, to get it to close or to get the attentions of the brands. Yeah. The first thing I would do is like start out and make a target list of the brands that you want to partner with. So you have that initial list and then take a look at the type of content that they are creating the partnerships that they do currently have to see like what they already are paying for and what they're engaged in. And is that something that you would be able to offer them to, or are you coming up with like a new out of the box idea that you need to go pitch to them and not saying that they, they won't do something that's, you know, brand new and um, out of the box, but just take a look at that initial content and what they're, what they're already doing. So make that list do some, you know, I would say like stocking due diligence on, on yeah. the brands and then put together what your offering is. So if a brand partners with you, what are they getting from you and what does success look like for them? Right? So brands don't have unlimited dollars to spend. Every dollar they spend has to do something for them as a brand. Is it going to generate them more money? Is it going to help them with you know, awareness, you know, what part of the marketing funnel is your partnership going to help them with? And what's important, like when you do reach out and you have these conversations, you need to ask the brand, you know, why are you interested in potentially partnering with us? What are you looking for? What are your challenges? Find out what their needs are. And then you have to see how you can fulfill those needs with what you're offering them. Because if you reach out to them and it's like me, 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 look at me, I'm, you know, I'm this brand, I can do this and I can do that and I can do that. And it's like, whoa, too much for them. You need to learn what they want, what's important to them. And can you create something that's going to help their brand? I love this because we call it with them. What's in it for me? That's what everybody cares about. That is like the number one sales philosophy that it's not, it's not just in sales for business development, whether it's for partnerships, whether it's hiring an employee, whether it's like whatever that next step is, that next client that you're trying, whatever it is, you always have to flip the perspective. It's not about you. Nobody cares about you. What's in it for me? They only care about themselves. And how can you actually showcase that value proposition to the other party? And that is how you actually get what you want. So I absolutely love that. Stephanie, so many questions I have for you on scaling businesses next. So we're going to do some rapid fire stuff on, on scaling. What have been like some of your biggest, you've, you've, what have been like the biggest lessons I would say that you've learned about scaling? You've started businesses, you've scaled businesses, and now you're in this beautiful position where you don't even have to operate a business, right? Like you, you have 
you've you successfully completed so many cycles of businesses. What have been, you know, some of the top, let's say, biggest three lessons that you've learned in scaling? I would say, it, especially in a service-based business, hiring the right team. Mm-hmm. Everything comes down to the people. Can you bring on people that you trust that are passionate about this business and being able to, you know, help it succeed and take it to the next level. Of course, no one is ever going to be as passionate about your own business as you are. And I think that is something that's important to remember to like not have that expectation of all of your employees that they have to, you know, be working around the clock and doing all these things for the business that just, it doesn't happen unless potentially you have, you're giving equity to your employees, but making sure, you know, you're hiring good people, loyal people who genuinely care. That is the key because when you are running a business, if you have a team and you like have constant turnover, the amount of time that you're spending hiring more people, retraining, it's, you know, that can limit scale. Um, I don't know if you've had, had experiences there, Sunira, and, and want to add to that. So but- many, so many. I mean, I mean, we're 350 people at Stacks, therefore I've probably cycled through 450-ish hires through our 10-year journey. And it is, I mean, to hire even that amount of people, so to hire almost 500 people, you have to go through how many rounds of interviews and applicants. And so when I say, I, I think that the biggest part of my job is people. Like that has been the largest part of what I've done over the last decade is hire people. There hasn't been a single month in existence in business that I haven't hired somebody. Um, and almost every 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 other Monday, we have a new hiring class that comes into Stacks. And um, now I don't hire everyone, but it's still it's such a reflection of 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 where it starts. And I would say the biggest lesson that I have here is like the first five to ten people in your company are the most instrumental in your company and in the success of the company. You can be the greatest leader, the greatest CEO, have the greatest product, but your core team in the early days, especially, needs to be just as motivated as you, just as like have the same passion, the same vigor in that starting phase because it's really when the foundation of the company and the DNA of the company gets established. And then from there, they're then hiring the next set or building out the next set of tools, but you can have the biggest imprint, the longest lasting imprint of your company based on the first 10 people that you can actually have that effect on and imprint on and actually build that DNA together of the company. And I would say that's probably my biggest lesson is don't um, like make sure that the first core team is really, really strong. And so hire slow, fire fast in that first building part of it because it's it can make or break your company. That is so true. And I was going to share that exact point. So I'm glad that you shared that. <laughs> I, I see in the chat someone sharing that they have a hard time delegating anything. So I love delegating now. And when we first started social fly, I didn't like, I felt like I had to be the one to do everything. And now I'm like, I love delegating everything. Like, here's the idea, have someone else go run with it and be that visionary and be able to let go. So I make a list of all of the things that I'm really great at that I should be the one to focus on that maybe no one else can do. And then all of the other items on my list, I find myself executing either on a daily or weekly basis that someone else could be doing, I need to hand those items off because otherwise you get stuck in this cycle of doing some of these little things that I shouldn't be doing those. Someone else should be doing those, but I, 
have to catch myself every week if I find myself doing some of those things, making sure like, wait a second, I shouldn't be doing that. I need to delegate this to this person on the team. A hundred percent. I think it's one of the 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 greatest things as a leader and the hardest thing as well at the same time is to effectively be able to delegate too. And one of the biggest like tips that I have for delegation, and I think where we as women kind of get stuck in this process is one, I think it's because of our perfectionist uh, tendency. And you are right, okay? You are 100% right if you're on the other side being like, I've delegated and it's never the same. Like I can do it. You always end up doing it better. And what I will tell you is that Nine out of 10 times, you are absolutely right that you will do it better, but you don't need to have a perfectly done piece. And that doesn't mean that like what's being done doesn't mean that you can't have your finishing touch on it. So I like to have the 80-20 rule where when you delegate something off and that if it is really important to you, if it is something that's hard to delegate or it is customer facing or it is something that you're like, hey, I need somebody else to do it, have them go do 80% of it right? And then you can come in and adjust and readjust and then put your 20% magic on it to make it feel like, yes, now it's like, we're, like it's it's Sanira worthy or it's Stephanie worthy or it's your magic touch worthy. And that's perfectly fine. Where you have to also be okay with is the things that 80% can also be okay for certain things. Not everything needs to be at 100% level. And that's where I think, whereas women, we have to start paying attention to is what are those tasks that it's okay if it's at 80%. You have to be willing to accept that and be okay with that. Otherwise, you're not gonna ha- be able to spend your time on the things that need to be at that 100%. And even at the 100% level, go dedica- dedicate off, delegate off that 80% of it and then you put that 20% magic touch on it. And that is how multi-passionate women like Stephanie and I actually operate our day-to-days is because we just do the thing that is the most important thing that we cannot delegate off or do that 20% magic touch. What are your thoughts there, Steph? Yes, I completely agree. And I say this all the time, done is better than perfect. Done is better than perfect. So I know it can be so hard to delegate in the beginning, but like I said, I like love it now. I get a rush from it. I'm like, I don't need to be the one to be doing all of these things. And that's okay because I hired a really great team where I have incredible freelancers who are even better at like, you can find people actually that are better at doing a lot of these tasks than you are. Like for me, I'm, I am not the greatest writer. Like I am not the one to be writing email copy, but guess what? I'm pretty good at doing. If someone writes something, I can, like you said, I'll look at it when it's 80% done and I'll make my little tweaks to, as our team says, to Stephify it. And, and that's great, but like, I shouldn't be the one writing emails. Someone who's a really great copywriter should be writing emails, not me. I love it. What are like the most instrumental team members? Let's talk about that because I I don't think I've ever asked anybody that question because it depends on every industry type or, um, but I get, I get to have the privilege of interviewing you who has many different kinds of companies. So who are your most important can't live without teammates, uh, that you have today and tell us like, cause that could probably help many of our CEOs here to think about who their most important hire should be. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with um, Entreprenista first and I'll focus on Entreprenista too. So with Entreprenista, and we've had an evolution because when we started Entreprenista, we started just as media with the podcast and then we built memberships. So we first, we had to figure out, I never built a membership before. Who do we need to bring? Oh, a community manager, someone to help figure out how to build the back end of the community. So our team has evolved over the past year and a half as we've needed different team members for the launch of the community. 
versus now that we have almost a thousand members in the community, the actual management and execution of the community. So now our team at Entrepreneurista, myself, of course, um, we now have a head of membership um, who actually she just started recently and she came from another another community um, that was had a physical location in New York City. So she's going to be able to bring all of her expertise from the community that she was running over to Entrepreneurista. That's also a tip that I have learned over the years is I don't pretend to know absolutely everything. You know, we're new in the past year and a half at building a community. I want to bring people on the team that have more knowledge and expertise. And I don't ever want to need to be the smartest person in the room to know everything. I want to bring on other amazingly talented people who know more than I do so we can um, build this better for, for everyone. So we have our head of community, we have a community manager and a community coordinator for the Entreprenista League. And then we have an account director over on the partnership side for Entreprenista. And then um, all of the other operations that we have at Entreprenista right now, we work with a lot of freelancers because what we've realized over the past year, depending on the partners that we have, depending on the type of content that we're doing, we don't need to have, you know, one, two or three full-time people, we need people with a lot of different types of expertise. So we have a freelancer that works on the podcast. We have a podcast production company that produces our podcast. Um, we have a you know content producer for, for social. So um, that's how we've been able to scale out our entrepreneurs team. Amazing. And then what about on like the, I was going to ask like, is there a team Stephanie Right. So that manages all that. Because I will tell you, for me, my chiefs of staff like are probably the most important roles for me um, in the company. My chief of staff at Stacks, um, Crystal, Little, Crystal Little is her name. Um, she is like a standing CEO if I'm not in a meeting. Like she is the one who makes sure that all of my initiatives, she's like everything is running from the executive team and she can. I can literally plug her in almost anywhere in the organization and she knows what I need as a CEO and how to pull that information, push that information and make sure that my agenda items are getting set across the board. So I have Crystal who I cannot live without. Um, and then I have a chief of staff at CEO school, which is a similar kind of role here. So I kind of help, almost have like my own little general managers um, per se. And then my personally, uh, my executive assistant is somebody that I cannot live without. Um, Michael Pigliavento, I love you so much. Uh, he is literally just instrumental in my life as an executive and making sure that my time is managed effectively, tasks, like just making sure that everything is running smoothly. Um, and I think an executive assistant is is um, a really, really important role. And I think it's not as like assistant-y as people think it is. Like Michael can run meetings and do meeting notes and so many important things that I, that I need to stay organized. And he really helps me stay organized. And so those are some people that I would say immediately in my personal team that I cannot live without. I have a question for you. And I will say, so we do have a chief of staff at Social Fly, Joanne, who mm -hmm. is like the most amazing human in the world. And she helps with a lot of stuff with Entrepreneurista as well in terms of her operations and HR. So she crosses over between Social Fly and Entrepreneurista and she's just the best. She's worked with us for I've lost track of time and I'm now seven, eight years at Social Fly. So she's moved up over the years and then um, about a year and a half ago became our yep. chief of staff and she's instrumental, like you said. I have a question for you about Michael, who I've been in touch with over email coordinating this. He is awesome. No, you cannot have him. Pat, no, no, no. Pat, I'm not, yeah, I, don't, I will not take Michael. I want to know, and I think this might be helpful for other people listening. How did you go about like training him in your processes? Like, how did you know he was the right fit to be your person? 
Okay. Well, when I when I met him on Zoom, I knew he was my person. Um, no. Um, Michael, I would say something that is really important to me is I look for good humans. Like you mentioned that in, in what you talked about. So the people around my orbit, like I want them to be people I actually like really want to be with and hang out with. And we don't have to be best friends. Uh, we we end up all becoming friends, but that's not an expect that's not a requirement, right, of the job. But I wanna I wanna be surrounded by people with like the same value systems as me. So that's like the first and foremost thing that I look for in any human especially if I'm working with this human that is like number one, number one most important thing, do our values align over the competency of the, the role? However, competency in the role is important, right? But competency, anybody can be competent in whatever role. Like there's plenty of executive assistants out there. There's plenty of, you know, operations heads or chief of staff or whatever I'm looking for, copywriters, a podcast producer. There's, there's people that do great from a competency level standpoint, but I will choose the person over the competency. So if I have a higher level candidate that might have a better resume or better whatever, again, it's the 80, the 80%. Like I want to make sure the the hundred percent on the human, like that's the more important piece. The competency has to be there. And then the third most important thing, and this is where it's the it's the coachability. So for me, I'm not looking for the person who knows everything either. I want somebody who has knowledge that I don't. But I also want somebody who, like, my journey every day as a CEO is harder than the one I had yesterday because I'm in growth businesses. So I need somebody who's also growth-minded because if I were to hand something off and say, okay, here's the best person for this job to shred this paper and that's all they do every day, I should go find the best paper shredder in the world and there's somebody out there for that. But I'm looking for somebody who's today might be to shred paper and I'm just using this like random analogy and tomorrow might be to go, you know, uh, do, do, do the next task and do the next task based on what the company needs are, based on what my needs are. So they have to be willing to grow. So I look for those people that are usually like second in charge. So even when I hire executives and I'm, I'm hiring um, C-level suite people that are going to be on my leadership team, I don't want the CFO who's been a CFO. I want the VP to the CFO who's like, working like who's like the right hand person who actually rolls up the sleeves for the CFO because that person knows how to do the job better than the CFO and I'm pretty good at the strategy side so they're probably really good at the strategy side too and then we can complement there but I want somebody who knows how to roll up their sleeves and has that growth level mindset so hopefully that's kind of how like hopefully that answers how I think about hiring but I want that person who's willing to like go the extra mile that is more interesting than just the job themselves and I'm really, really, I will say, I call myself lucky in that. And I know that there's no such thing as luck because I define my own luck. And I'm really good at people. Like, that's my superpower. And I attract the right people. And then I attract the right friends. And this is how SEALs go. This whole, this is all of this. This is how everything has been built is because I feel like you are the energy that you put out. The world is a, a mirror reflection of you. And so I just try to find, like, people with, like, that are just good and that want to do good, and it usually works out. So that's it. I, wait, I have one more follow-up question. Yeah, to that. yeah. Are there certain interview questions that you ask to determine if someone is a good human, or do you just know? Okay, I don't have like a um, like a. I used to have like a you know interview question sheet. I don't. I don't anymore. I think it's more conversational. I think something that I like to ask always is take me back, like. My, my first interview, tell me about yourself is like so vague, but I say, take me back from like your, like start, like I ask them to start as early as they'd like to, but I'd love to know their experience, like from college beyond. 
And so I'm like looking for cues on like where they start in their journey. Some people start like way early on. And I usually will start off talking about like my like my background with my family, being an immigrant kid. So you can tell a lot about where they start their journey and what's kind of taking place in between. So I let them be the storyteller versus me pushing my agenda. So when I'm in an interview, I'm definitely talking this little and listening this much. And I just want to watch all of the cues, the body language, what they're talking about. And then I try to pull things out of them that just help me like understand what, how they are as a human. Like, what do they do for fun? Like just basic things like you would ask a friend, right? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you do? What are your hobbies? What do you do for fun? Tell me about your, you know, tell me about your family. And sometimes like, I'm not afraid of asking these questions. Although I will tell you that now in corporate recruiting environments, you're actually not supposed to ask about family life or whether they have children. And so I try to find a way to let them do this, this, the telling. So I'm like, okay, so tell me about home life. And that's like, okay, if they have like a family or kids that usually comes up. Um, and I like to find people that are, that have, that are passionate about things outside of just work. Like I'm not looking for the person who only works 24 seven. I want somebody who cares about things. And so those are telt, those are the things that tell me this person has like a good heart. They, they, volunteer their time or they're passionate about their kids baseball league or they do this or whatever else they do or they're you know a stand-up comedian on the weekends like we literally have a stand-up comedian at stocks and I didn't I wouldn't have known that and so it's it's you want to work with people that are that are interesting and fun you get one shot at it right so again this is so fun because it's like our catch-up session like we have one of these like every six months we're doing this um, on, on open air right now. So Stephanie, I want to, um, you know, before we open up Q and a from the audience, I want to close out first. Um, and just to, uh, just to, you know, how can, how can we find, um, you know, market and entrepreneurs. So let everybody who's listening, who might not be live, know how they can find you, how we can support you and continue to learn from you. Um, because that needs to happen. Oh, thank you so much. So you can find me personally on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm at Steph Jill Carton, S-T-E-P-H-J-I-L-L-C-A-R-T-I-N. On my LinkedIn and on my Instagram, I link out to all of the different businesses that we talked about today that I'm involved in. Um, but to go find those directly, Entreprenista on the website is entreprenista.com and on Instagram at entreprenistas with an S at the end. Um, Marked is at hello Marked, H E L L O M A R K I D on Instagram. Socialfly is at Socialfly as it sounds. Um, and then we didn't get a chance uh, to talk about Pearl Influential Capital, but that uh, Instagram account is pearl p-a-r-l dot influential amazing and pearl influential capital um, is an angel investor group that you've started um just tell us just a, a quick one minute summary on that yeah. So um, what Courtney and I saw over the years with building Social Fly, we were working with so many brands, casting influencers to create all of this awesome content for these brands. And these influencers are getting paid some in free product, $500 here, $5,000 there, and helping some of these brands explode and then sell or go public. And then these money of these influencers didn't have any equity or didn't have skin in the game in these brands. On the entrepreneurs' side, and then for my own personal experience with raising capital, we have just seen how hard it is. And as you were talking about, Sanira, for women to raise capital, it is not easy in general to raise capital. It is especially not easy for women to raise capital. So we started thinking, you know, 
how can we really like flip this script here and actually give influencers the opportunity to invest in some of these brands that they're helping to build. So now we're giving education and access to these influencers to learn about investing and learn about angel investing and give them the opportunity to invest if they choose. And on the entrepreneurista side, we're able to help these women raise capital and raise strategic capital from women who are influential and want to help the brand succeed. Because now when these women raise capital in the past, let's say you're raising $2 million, you might have to spend half a million or a million dollars on marketing, spending it on influencer marketing and paid media. Well, now you have influencers on your cap table who want to be talking about your business. And then you won't have to spend as much of that raise on marketing because they, they're invested. They want to be talking about and sharing it. So that's our thesis with Pearl. Um, we've done two SPVs and then we have a third one live right now for a company called Sticks. And, you know, we're testing this thesis and so far it, it's been working and it's been really incredible. I can tell you on the market side, because we did a SPV for market and we've had a bunch of influencers invest in the brand and, you know, Sinead Grimes Beach, she was on the CW on 90210. She's a mom influencer with about half a million followers. She's invested in the business. When she posts about and talks about the brand, our app sessions take off, our website visits take off, you know, more users sign up and we just see that influencers can really help influence these brands and now they have skin in the game and we'll have something to show for it upon a hopeful exit of any of these companies thank you so much stephanie this was such a fun conversation and it's always a pleasure i will see you in person next hopefully and to our audience out there i hope you guys enjoyed the show as much as i did and just follow stephanie and join all the things there's going to be amazing things happening between ceo schools club and entrepreneurista league so be on the lookout for that soon and until next week at ceo school running a business is hard managing employees is hard getting customers through the door is even harder but getting paid shouldn't have to be this is where Stacks Payments is here to help. As an intuitive platform for invoicing, recurring billing, in-person, as well as online payments, Stacks is a one-stop hub to get you paid. What's even better? Stacks has one flat fee for the month instead of percentages you can't understand. Stop spending time tracking down customers or payment tools that fail on you. Set your automations up with Stacks Payments today. As CEO and founder of Stacks and CEO School, it's been my mission to support female leaders, founders, and CEOs. With Stacks, I'm able to do so by providing fast, easy, and affordable way to process payments every day for you. Thank you for tuning into today's show. If you loved it, leave us a review. We are so proud to bring you authentic conversations, game changer expert guests, and valuable content on and offline. The best compliment you can give us is by screenshotting today's show and tagging us on Instagram at CEO School and at Sanira Madani. We are obsessed with swag, so don't be surprised if we want to send you some. Thanks for tuning into class today. And remember, nothing bad happens when women make more money.